And welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and joining us today is a very good friend of mine, an extremely talented game developer, and our resident Tales expert. It's Eric Smith. Eric, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Stephen and Brendan. Happy to be here. This is going to be great. Hell yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today, my friends? We're talking about Tales of Arise, a new 2021 video game from Bandai Namco. Is it Namco Bandai? It's Bandai Namco. Came out this year. And from, uh, we've talked about it a couple times on the show, but from my understanding of what this game is, it was kind of like, okay, we've been making these Tales games literally every year, almost an annualized thing. We should take a break, take a step back and see how we can kind of shuffle this thing and make it something that has more broad stream appeal because i feel like for as long as the tales franchise has been around it's never really like cracked through the same way final fantasy or even dragon quest have and uh that's kind of what arise is and we've talked about it a bunch on the show i liked it a lot steven you were liking it a lot and eric i understand that you are a big fan of the franchise absolutely yeah uh love tales of arise has some critiques of the narrative um but that combat system ugh lovely yeah we'll, we'll get to uh narrative discussion in the um spoiler part of the episode but I get, i'd love to hear because i know you've played a lot of these games like what would you say like kind of is it about the series that stands out to you and like what do you kind of look for because i i find it interesting yeah. that like we talk a lot about long running rpg series and it's interesting to see like dragon quest is a series that never really strays too far from what you expect it to be like you kind of know like okay it's going to be a medieval fantasy it might focus on different things but it's largely comfortable staying the same and then final fantasy it's like a completely new series each game like they don't really connect in any huge way i know there's like the crystal nova something with 13 and 15 but unless yeah. you yeah <laughs> unless yeah. you are on wikipedia you won't know that they are connected um so i guess with tales I'm just curious, like, how similar would you say the games are to each other? What is sort of like the connective tissue? And more importantly, like, what do you want out of a Tales game when you pick one up? Yeah, so right off the bat, to comment on that, like, Crystola Nova, Please. like that sequence you made, um, I would actually say Tales, the Tales series is kind of similar. Um, oh, cool. I mean, think of like how like Dark Souls has like flavor text and item descriptions and you start noticing that the same kinds of items and weapon types are in each game. It's a similar thing for Tales, but to take it a step further, they also have, I think similar to Final Fantasy, how you have like your iconic summons, so your Shivas, your Ifrits, your Ramus, you have a similar thing and... This is kind of kind of going to get into spoiler territory, but there are characters from Tales of Zisteria that do make an appearance in Tales of Arise. Whoa, and it's oh, kind cool. of common to have like characters from other games, specifically like the more um, elemental uh, mm. characters in nature, elemental spirits make cameos in different mm. games. So there's a there's a a bit of um and then uh Zisteria and Berseria share like the same world. I believe Berseria right. is like a hundred years or it's either a hundred or a thousand years in the future from Zisteria. So they're dealing with like the same types of like Hellions, Therians, um there's the concept of the shepherd that still exists. So those two games are are pretty well linked. Overall, uh this series is just fascinating and what brought me to it was a four player it's a four player co-op game 
mostly. Yeah. Yeah. So even on the Dreamcast, right? Tales of Symphonia, it was wild to be able to play, like plug up four controllers and play with like four other people in this like uh grand sweeping RPG. It was a lot of fun. My first like real formative experience with this series was Tales of Zillia back in college. Uh so very shaky on who the main characters were in that game. But know that a lot of people, um, it's it's funny, in the community, there are Tales games that are known for having great story. There are Tales games known for having great dungeons, uh, so like exploration and puzzles. And then there are Tales games known for just having great combat. Mm. And Zillia was one of those combat ones where it was like, mm. you know, you have to pick up the controller. You have to play this combat system um, because they were trying. It was very experimental. This is where you start seeing things like the brake system come into play or more um, like the semi manual slash manual combat style where they're not locking you on a certain axis to attack automatically i could talk at length uh the next the next experience i had with this series so there's there's really like three games that i've like played through the narratives of tales of vesperia tales Mm. of zisteria and then tales of bursaria all kind of sound similar (laughs) Um, Tales of Vesperia is the one that came out on like the 360, I think back in like 2009, yeah. 2010. That was a big one. That was like the one that yeah. seemed to get like more of a marketing push than ones before or even after. Like yeah. I feel like I, especially too, I feel like in retrospect, that must've been an attempt to maybe like sell more Xboxes in Japan. Cause that was like a, mm. originally a 360 exclusive JRPG. Yeah. That was a big um, focus of the Xbox generation at the time as well, because their yeah. sales over there were really rough. That was where lost Odyssey and blue dragon and all those yeah. Sakuguchi games came from as well. But yeah, Vesperia also it's worth mentioning is available like everywhere now it's been ported to everything, which is great. It's even on switch at this point. I'm excited oh, yeah. to play it. I still haven't played it, but I do have yeah, it. It's, it is a great time and I I'm going to be really interested in y'all's thoughts. Having played, tales of arise because i think what tales of arise captures from vesperia are those skits right in tales of vesperia you're dealing with characters that are like of a wild different like age ranges uh different life experiences obviously you have patty this one chick who's like a pirate you have lurie yoenthal who is like a thief slash like ex knight who is like down to just like kill a main antagonist and like I don't know, the middle of the night while no one knows, so he doesn't have to explain to someone. Yeah, I took care of that person, and no, they won't be a problem, <laughs> but you don't need to know about that 15-year-old kid. What is that character's name again? Yuri Lowenthal. That's also the name of the voice actor of Peter Parker in My- Marvel Spider-Man 2018. Really? Like, first and last what? name? First and last name, yes. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. Let me just make sure I have Yuri's name right then. Wait, no, I'm sorry. It's Yuri Lowell. My bad. Oh, okay. I mean, still. Still good. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. played a little bit of Vesperia. So I, I picked up Vesperia and Berseria just to kind of get a sense of like other games in this series before we did this episode. Vesperia is interesting because it seems to tackle similar themes of like class imbalance that Arise is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main character seems to be more of like kind of a Robin Hood like chaotic good type to Alfin's yeah. more like stoic heroic vibe. Absolutely. Which like veers into himboism eventually. But you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. But anyway, you were saying about Vesperia and how they connect to Arise. That there's that yeah, character. So yeah. those like vignettes, right? It, it almost feels like Vesperia is a game formed entirely of vignettes because mm. the overarching narrative is not as strong. It's mm. not as uh, gripping. I mean, honestly, it's kind of forgettable. I mean, especially if you compare it to 
burst area, right? Yeah. But I think what it does really well is it really sells each of the characters and sells all of their motivations. Like, you know why Yuri is tackling the world in like this like shady low-key manner that it is. You understand the motivations of like probably one of like the best, I think, next to Velvet and Berseria, one of the best written um women I've seen in the series, Estelle. All of her convictions, her motivations, her reasons for uh, journeying, right? That story, Vesperia, is really kind of focused around her. It's like a coming to age story for her. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is coming to age at the same kind of time, but they're all kind of going like, hey, Estelle, like you're the one who has like an idea of like where this world is moving and like some of the machinations that are happening between it. We're going to throw all of our weight behind you and support you. Um, it's a great cast of characters awesome. and it's also super campy, super funny. The tone is very light. Yeah. It's much lighter. If even mm-hmm. then arise, I mean, I, again, mm-hmm. of the three I played Berseria is extremely dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> arise like arise is thematically dark, but I think the characters add levity and then Vers- Vesperia seems to be the brightest of the three. Vesperia so sounds like a hangout game. It sounds like me just hanging out yeah. with my friends, which it honestly is. I'm, I'm into that. That sounds great. I noticed too the skits in the previous games to arise. So for context for the listener, essentially while you're playing, you'll get like a button prompt and the name of a scene and you'll you'll hit that button and then you'll see like a skit play out. So in arise, it's like in comic panels, but it's the characters as they are like in battles or in cutscenes. But in Berseria and Vesperia, it's like like an anime cartoon. So it's like you kind of mm. get like a more cartoony version of the characters. And I find the skits tend to be a little bit lighter and funnier um, mm-hmm. in those other games. It reminds me a lot of like the anime Jujutsu Kaisen at the end of the show. They'll have like a little three minute episode that kind of pokes fun at the show itself. <laughs> yeah. And those skits feel like that. But it's kind of interesting because in Arise, you get that, but you also get them just as a narrative vehicle. So like yes. they kind of use them in multiple ways to varying degrees of success. But I, <laughs> it, it helped add context to see the skits in the older games for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the skits. The skits actually became, you know, next to the combat. Uh, one of my favorite parts of playing the game, even though some of the skits could be super cringy and super uh, fan servicey, yeah, um, it would almost feel like watching like Saturday morning cartoons. Like something that these skits do so well is like they do a lot of unpacking of who these people are in different contexts, right? Mm-hmm. So like, who is this person around food? Who is this person when they're thinking about like sexual interests? Who is this person when they're thinking about like the giant dragon you just fought? And oh my God, that dragon just picked up Yuri and like, threw them across like I, I live for those kinds of commentaries because it, it shows like a very real acknowledgement you know something that Final Fantasy couldn't really do I don't think which is like yo we just fought like a headless horseman on the back of a train and like the train flew off a waterfall <laughs> and no one's talking yeah. about right, it yeah. right like there is that disconnect for sure yeah there's there's this challenge when writing anything uh but you know really anything any piece of media ever to find ways to explore characters in those ways and those like in sometimes almost kind of like banal like very Mm low-key ways and i love that they just kind of took the reins off and they said like anything we want to write about any idea we have for backstory for any of these characters we can turn into a skit and people can press the right bumper or not if they want to experience that I think it's great because mm-hmm. there there's so many instances that would be so difficult to write those two characters together talking about x y or z thing but so frequently when you get really into these games 
all you want is to see those two characters interact. Like all you want to see is, yes. is Law and Kisara just like hang out for 10 minutes because everyone else went hunting for a minute and they need to watch the camp. Like what is that conversation like? Because you would never see that in, in the main storyline because it wouldn't serve the narrative in any way. But this kind of allows them to right. do that. Um, I I really appreciate it. And I did experience it in a Saturday morning cartoon way where every time I had to like cook a meal or something in real life, to be clear, I would sit down at a campfire and just like <laughs> run through all the ones I had unlocked for the past like two hours of play and it was always great Uh, it was very similar to Fire Emblem Three Houses in that way where I would just watch all the support scenes with like lunch yeah absolutely I mean and I think there's a higher focus on the support scenes in Fire Emblem to like kind of be the meat of the narrative but there is that acknowledgement that I, I think helps add weight like you were saying Eric to the like battles and high fantasy part of it like really getting a second to internalize like oh shit we're at war and we're killing people we once called friends in fire emblem uh, mm-hmm. or just like mm-hmm. that was a giant zoogle i'm kind of scared you know <laughs> or like right, i love eating right. fondue with you i love it give it to me you know yeah i i think my only issue with them in arise is that they were just so many like they were so many and i think going back to what i said earlier the only ones i i, I found less um successful were the ones that were reverberating points that were already made by a scene yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. felt like you would watch a scene and then you would get like the rough draft of that scene three times in skits. Yeah. Um, but the ones where like Rinwell is like, I think of us as a family unit and like Law's the dog for some reason. Like that's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Or or Sh- or Shion, who is normally very guarded, again, who is this person around food? She like becomes a different person. You know, she's like when she's able to cook for the group or eat, it's a activity in which for those who don't know, her character is like cursed to have thorns that hurt anyone who comes in contact with her. But it seems like cooking is really like the one safe avenue in which she can show and receive affection, mm, which to yeah. me, I read that as that's why she's like a new person around it, because it's like a safe place for her to like connect with. Other oh, people. wow. So, yeah, I mean, the skits are were my favorite and least favorite part of of Arise. Yeah, and the rate <laughs> yeah, at it, which they dole them out never slows down, Stephen. So yeah. it might be worth mentioning just like where we all got with the game because none of us have finished it. Appar- I think I've gotten the closest. I'm like at the end and uh, couldn't couldn't get over the line for this episode. But even like right at the end of the game, they're still like hitting me with one skit per new area I walk into, which is still constantly... <laughs> It gets to be a lot at a certain point, as much as I love them. I, I had yeah. to pick and choose by the title of the skit which one I wanted to interact with. Yeah, I think this is super interesting because, you know, the fact that you're talking about like the frequency of the skits, because something that's happening in Tales of Rise, at least I'm noticing in comparison to like Berseria or Zisteria or Vesperia, is um, they've really uh, found a way to trim down how many excess levels they're giving you right it seems like in this game there's not a lot of back and arise at least there's not a lot of backtracking at least that i've seen so far mm. getting to the last i believe lord that i have to fight every zone is almost new you're rarely going back to old zones unless you want to take care of a take care of like a a, a boss quest or you want to slay like a notorious monster or something in Berseria, you're going to so many different places like you have I think in the middle of the game, almost like 25 to 30 different locations that you can visit. So those skits come at a much more even paced rate. I'll agree with you. Mm. There are so many skits in Arise and it's it's kind of wild. Yeah, like for context, one of the achievements I saw on, on PS5 was you've watched a thousand skits. 
So the fact that that's a achievement, <laughs> it means that there's at least a thousand. <laughs> Is that real? Yes, I'm not making it up. I, 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 unless I had a nightmare, I'm pretty sure <laughs> there is a you watched a thousand skits achievement. Oh my god! We can look it up to verify. I kind of want. Do you mind if I if I look that? Yeah, up? Yeah, no, take your time. I, I actually, it's a I, bold I want, claim. I do want to be correct, so I, I appreciate the research. Three hundred. Three hundred. Okay, I see three hundred as well. There's a there's an achievement called ceaseless chatterbox. It says view three hundred skits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Not a that's thousand, still, but still a lot. That's still a lot. That's still a lot. <laughs> All of three houses, like every character, every character combination in that game, which you wouldn't experience in one playthrough, I think is like maybe 150. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it might be close to 300, actually. But it's not like all at once, obviously. Okay, um, so so just like rounding this, so <laughs> all of them I would say are between three and five minutes. So on the low end, that means there's about 15 hours of skits. Tight. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I mean, have y'all noticed that it seems Bandai Namco, right? Because they do have their own like internal studios. They do have their own internal writing teams, even though they're a publisher. I've been noticing with like um, everything from, bear with me here, God Eater 3, Code Vein, Scarlet Nexus. All of these games are including this skit-based uh, narrative structure that I feel started and and really had like the mold broken in with the Tales series. Mm. Have y'all noticed Bandai Namco like favoring uh, Scarlet Nexus looks like a comic book? Yeah, you know, Code yeah. Vein looks more like a. I don't even know how to describe what Code Vein's narrative sequence. <laughs> See, like, I, I always read it as a Persona influence. To be honest, I mean, mm. it, it could have started with Tales because Tales, I think, predates. I don't know when the skits started in Tales, but the series overall predates Persona, I'm pretty sure, or at least around the same time. SMT predates everything. But uh, so the thing is, the irony is that in Scarlet Nexus, the the skit part of it was easily my favorite part of that game. Like I thought the and again, there are way less, but there are kind of vignettes that focus on relationships between characters, probably more one to one with like Persona or Three Houses where it's like, yeah, Kasane with this character or with Mm -hmm. this character. And each like character has three ranks rather than just like scenes for the whole cast. I think there are like two skits with the whole cast. So I, I thought that that because in that game, I found the story to be less than and the the moments between characters was really the heart of it that kept me going in that game. In Tales, I, I find most of the story to be pretty compelling. So I think that in moments it feels really bloated when like you're getting a scene and then three different versions mm-hmm. of the scene. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so like I, I think that like I liked them a lot, especially in the beginning when it was just um, Alfin and Shion, that those skits did a lot to really kind of like show you their relationship and show you like they're like slowly growing trust between each other mm-hmm. um but yeah there's too many it's, it's really as simple as that like i think they're they're good there's too many in this game and i'm excited to experience them in previous games because it just seems like they have a more natural place in berseria and vesperia um, yeah absolutely i guess do you guys want to veer into just like how we thought of arise overall based on our time with it like what you guys think like of the game like what would your opinion of it be especially eric you're saying how each tales game has like it might excel in story combat or dungeons like how would you characterize this one yeah uh the dungeons i I wouldn't man i can't even (laughs) the dungeon design in this game is just kind of very simplistic um and i mean i think the only non-simplistic dungeon design i've seen in a tales of game is either zisteria or vesperia one of those two because it's zisteria you have like 
actual puzzle challenges with each of like these relics that you have to complete the dungeons are actually somewhat interesting mm. um narrative wise i'm loving this game i'm loving what it's trying to talk about it feels very timely eerily timely it also kind of misses some marks for me but yeah. i kind of like that i'm able to have like a dialogue right with sure i'm able to disagree and agree with different points of it and so I'm really vibing with it on the narrative tip. Combat wise, oh my God, after playing Scarlet Nexus and having all of those combat links, combo linking with Law all the time, hearing him scream at the top of his voice or <laughs> seeing Kisara like take her shield and, you know, with Renwell. Yes. Like create like a magical like hammer, frost hammer. Like it's so tight. I love, I love those moments. Like I would just play battle after battle after battle to see how many different combinations of, you know, Alfin and Shion rolling together or yes. Dolamine and uh, Law, right? It's just so much fun seeing all of these characters like fight together and like remark on how they're fighting. Yeah. But I was upset that they did not have co-op. Co-op is like something that I love in these games. Mm. Yeah. The fact that this one didn't have it, have it like really kind of stung in the beginning. Yeah. Sure. Do you think that this was successful in terms of what they were trying to accomplish with this game? Like do you do you feel like they've kind mm-hmm. of opened the doors to new fans and and how do you how do you feel like they went about doing that? Cuz I don't really have a I don't really have like an understanding of of where this was at like before this game. I'm just curious. Yeah. Do you feel like you're seeing more people come in? I mean, obviously Steven and I are the here. The combat the combat was a barrier, I think for you a think lot so? of people in this game series. Yeah, because like you have so let's let's start off with like how they tie up the skills because that that barrier to entry was like I like the like a person could be like I like the game's narrative but the combat system is so comp like in Berseria you can play 30 hours to like 40 hours of that game and still get tutorials on the combat system at that point in the game. It's a the tales of series have kind of had these combat systems that just evolve. Like, you know how you get your second uh, slot that lets you use like a, a secondary set of skills? Yeah. Things like that get, you know, introduced to the player at a certain amount of time. But if you miss the uh, like the Chiron or the key card that's like, hey, like this is what this skill does. Uh, test it and try using it in battle. Right. You wouldn't get those kinds of prompts in Berseria or Zisteria. It was mm-hmm. very much hey, if you're not reading that codex or that glossary and you're at this point in the game, you need to start. They explain everything so well in Tales of Arise. They let you yeah. know what combat links are and they focus on it. They let you know how to break people's guards and barriers. And that is simplified as well. Berseria was super complex where you have not only elemental status types, but you have like sharp, you have armor break, you have um, attacks versus you have not only attacks versus elements, but attacks versus um, genuses, I think, of monsters. So this does more damage to a human. This does more damage to a dragon. This does Mm -hmm. more damage to an amphibian. So they've really dialed down the complexity and the tutorialization is, I think, much better in Arise than it is in any previous game. I like the idea that they were doing Pokemon, but with like Charles Darwin's actual logs oh, yeah. from the Galapagos. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah, funny. I, and I mean, it, it makes, you know, reading the, the glossary in that codex so, you know, interesting, right? Mm. Because you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I'm not only learning like, you know, a little flavor text about what makes these monsters truly terrifying, but like if I study this up, I'm getting all of these combat bonuses. Yeah. I'm getting, you know, more skill points at the end. 
this loop is starting to feel a lot more like butter instead of law punching up against like a non-armored enemy and you're realizing you're not doing much damage. Mm, right. That's a great point. I mean, something I noticed even prior to playing older Tales games is that like I love the sort of slow drip of power you get. Like they don't mm. give you all the abilities right away. You know, I, I think that's even in Berseria, like pretty early on. They give you an ability that it is assumed you have already mastered the basics and the ability you get is to kind of break the rules and to like loop combos together. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I still don't fully know how to move yet. Like you're you're (laughs) overestimating how much I know. Um, And in Tales, it's like they really they're giving you enough early on for it to feel interesting, but not too much that it feels overwhelming. And whenever you do get like a big new move it's really exciting you know like Mm -hmm. the moves we've been talking about where like characters team up and do something together you don't get that until you have like the full party and it's so exciting like every even you know i would say that i i adore this game i do think it has some pacing issues that like holds it back from being like one of the best rpgs of this year to something that i really like but like have caveats for those moves never get old i could watch 15 hours of rinwell <laughs> making like a rune and then Shion just shooting a giant gun through yes. it that creates a tidal wave yeah and then being like i love working with you like while that's happening like this yeah. is amazing like i love mm-hmm. that like you're my best friend <laughs> i can carve through armor the coolest shit in any video game i played this year is Shion throwing bullets into the air and then law punching them to the ground <laughs> yes every yes. time i got that yes. one i wanted to like pop out of my chair i love that animation <laughs> so much it's the most hype shit ever i love yes. i love that stuff so much and I you mean, see that, was, that hang time that law gets to yeah where it kind of like if you beat the battle you kind of see him like flourishing his arms kind of sitting up in that <laughs> marriage, just like uh. It rips. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, what's what's wild is I, I feel like this game and Scarlet Nexus, also by the same team, just feel like they kind of are going after very similar things. And weirdly, after playing mm-hmm. Arise, I feel like Scarlet Nexus is almost a Tales game in everything but name. It's like cyberpunk Tales in a way. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it feels like them trying to go after a different thing. My, my only problem, and I, and I hate to compare them this hardcore, but I feel like they really are like very related especially coming out in the same year which is a shocking move Mm -hmm. is scarlet nexus feels like it has almost everything that i would want out of like a sequel to this game the only thing is that the story is like just okay in a way like as much as i love scarlet nexus looking back on it i feel like the story isn't as compelling or wasn't making me think as much as tales of arise is and i'm very much with you eric that i love a lot Mm -hmm. of what this game is trying to say even if it's stumbling a lot I, i think it's tackling some questions that are are through very fascinating lenses that we'll talk about more in the spoiler section. But the thing with Tales of Arise and Scarlet Nexus, and we said this about Scarlet Nexus, is that both games have combat that feels just like ripped out of an anime. I have never felt more in my life like I'm playing the anime game of my dreams than in both of these games. Yeah. For Scarlet Nexus, that's pretty much moment to moment. That's like almost everything that's happening at all times. And anytime you link with someone and their portrait shows up on the screen and they just like scream at you and then like give Mm -hmm. give you their power, like that rules every single time. And then Tales of Arise having these meters building up for every single one of your characters that you can press a direction on the D-pad and just activate their whatever wild move feels sick. And I played this game for like, I want to say about 50 hours and it felt sick the whole time. Like that never stopped yeah. being awesome. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about like 
how my gameplay style changed the further in we got, but I feel like that's the thing that I'm going to have to say for spoilers. Oh, yeah. Why don't we all kind of like sum up our feelings spoiler free now and then maybe we're veering into spoilers anyway. So that's cool. Yeah. I'll say that like in terms of the mission of this game, the fact that like it seems to be like here is like the Tales game of the future for new fans and old fans. And like mm-hmm. this is sort of like an entry point for the series. I mean, we made a lot of comparisons to Dragon Quest XI when it first came out in terms of it being like here is this like kind of monumental entry in the series that is so clearly the entry point for everything else. Yeah. I do think despite its many flaws, it does succeed at that. I mean, the three of us are here today recording a bonus about this game. I have an interest in going back and playing other Tales games. I think that I'm frustrated with this game because I think like if it if it delivered the promise of the first like 20 hours, I think that this would be like my game of the year easily. Yeah, big And same. I think the way it sort of like, it doesn't ever feel bad to play but I found the narrative fizzled out in a way that like made me not as interested. So it's it's definitely mm-hmm. like in those three areas. The combat is the reason you're playing for most of it. And then the other areas kind of fluctuate as the further you get in. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, on its own, even in its weakest moments, it's still a great RPG. I want to make that clear. Like we're we're comparing it to like the best of the best. And I think that this is gonna this game made me a Tales fan. I think so. Mission accomplished. Hey. So another one. Love hearing that. Love hearing that. Uh, I'll, I'll say on my end, I I really, really loved this game, and it was definitely a front runner for Game of the Year for like a huge chunk of it. I kind of agree with you, Stephen. There's a certain point that we'll get to later where the narrative really fizzles out in such a way that I kept trying to push through. I was like, I really want to see this through. I really want to see this all the way to the end. And those back hours like really soured my overall opinion Ooh. of the thing from a pacing perspective, and it really bummed me out. But I can't ignore the fact it's kind of like the Mass Effect trilogy where like, you know, Mass Effect 3 ends the way it does. And, you know, even if you're like really charitable, that it's like an okay ending, you know, but that doesn't mean that Mass Effect 1, 2 and 95% of 3 weren't some of the best gaming you ever had in your life. Exactly. (laughs) I kind of have to take a similar approach to Tales of Arise where I, I think... The conceit of there are five lords, we'll get into it later, but there are five lords you need to take out these lords, almost like a Kill Bill scenario, one after the other, mm-hmm. like rules. That whole bit yeah. is great. And that's like 35 yes. hours of game and you're going to really have a good time with it. At that point, if you put the game down, it will be one of your favorite RPGs ever. If you play any point past that, I think you're going to be a little bit more up in the air about it, depending on how much you love Tales. But that having been said, it's really, really good. And and the comparison we made to Dragon Quest frequently for me was like, this is a blueprint for Dragon Quest Twelve, a game that Square Enix says they want to take in a slightly darker direction than they ever had before. For a game that is literally just about like chilling out and like hearing a bedtime story before you go to sleep, they want to make mm-hmm. Dragon Quest a little bit darker. And how do you do that in a way that doesn't change the like sacred tone of that franchise? And this feels like oh, it to me. Yo, have you seen and real quick aside, maybe this doesn't say in the episode, maybe it does, but um there have you seen the Dragon Quest movie? It came out like it was an animated movie. No, yeah, it's based on three, right? It's based on five, I think. Is it called Your Story? Yes, Your Story. Oh, that is five. It's based on five, yeah. 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 That's that. This might be a spoiler for folks, but that gets very, very, very dark. Like very dark in the beginning towards the middle and then extraordinarily dark and esoteric at the end. Mm. Um, So if that is at all what this studio is also capable of doing, then I'm right there with you, Brendan. Like I'm geeked to see what a dragon uh, quest 12 would look like with this kind of 
you know, backing because it's, it's possible. It's there. They know how to do it. Yeah. And I think the other comparison to 11 for me is like, I think Tales of Arise throughout the entire game has some of the best quality of life features I've seen in a modern Ooh. RPG. Mm-hmm. Like the fast travel, like you said, there's no backtracking, but if you do want to go back to the Al forest and get a new outfit or <laughs> you want to go, there's a really funny quest. It doesn't make any sense. There's a guy that asks Xion for fashion advice in like the first five hours of the game. Yeah. And, and if you ever go back to him, he's like, I need more time to think about it. And he's not ready until like, 40 hours end game and then you go back and he's like how about this and she's like yeah it's actually not that good and he's like okay i'll try harder (laughs) and And then that's that's it it. (laughs) but like the ability to travel around i love the collective pool of um i think it's cp for magic so it's not like Mm -hmm. every character is mp you just pull from that yeah the the way like cooking and crafting works even though the dungeons are all like this elevator's broken like i do love the exploration part of the game like when I get to a new area and I get to run around and get into battles that are like fun and fast and the more battles I get into, like a meter builds up. And, yeah. and like, gr- like weirdly enough, grinding is one of the most enjoyable parts of this game if you want yes. to grind. I don't think yes. you need to, but if you want to just explore and grind and cook and watch skits, that's like a really great way to experience this game. I think the main story has incredible moments where i was like cheering from my seat and then other moments where i go like what like i to experience (laughs) both in a game says a lot but ultimately i have a similar approach to brendan where like i have to credit the hours that i was fully in uh in my overall opinion of the game and i still think it's an incredible time and again great blueprint for what whatever dragon quest wants to do next or tales i want to make that clear whatever tales does next i'm also in but this just feels so much like dragon quest 12 weirdly like a beta version of it to me and i played i played the opening hours of berseria on your recommendation eric and like was shocked at how Mm. the story opened like i found that narrative to be like immediately like gripping in a way that the best moments of arise were but even the difference in quality between those two games in terms of like how inviting it is like we mentioned the tutorials and stuff like I think this is definitely a good blueprint for the series going forward. And I'm excited to see like that yeah. experiment. Like what is the co-op Tales game look like that's following say. in this game's footstep? Yeah. Or what's mm. the like, you know, what's the more dungeony one look like that's not just broken elevators? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I am, too. I, I, you know, I can't even imagine what they have cooking up on that on that dungeon front. Right. Maybe we might start just seeing them blend. And, and I don't know how you all feel about this in general, but like, you know, when you have like this publisher that has access to all of these internal teams and they can, you know, not necessarily like asset swap, but like definitely share like functions and implementation. At what point could we see like code vein level design or dungeon design in a Tales game? At what point could we see more of a breakaway from like this kind of sim? uh, This, this has like action combat, but it's sticky. You know what I mean? Like, even if you're on manual, if you punch with a character or slash with a character, you're still kind of nudged in the right direction or turned in the right direction. The hitboxes aren't super tight. It's more like, Mm -hmm. you know, big spheres coming into contact instead of like, you know, super precise, like hitbox over the weapon yeah so I, i'd be interested in seeing the combat system reworked but still to include like the uh cross links and like the link attacks link strikes yeah i think overall i love this game it, the beginning for me sold me on the game and i think it like as time has moved on you know i've kind of fallen off of it a little bit 
Yeah. But I think the pacing has a bit to do with that. And I think some some of the narrative inconsistencies have to do with why, like, you know, I was in love initially and I was all aboard, all in. And then when you get introduced to, you know, the main one of the main freedom fighters, it's like, yes, keep giving me. Yes. Give me more of this story Um, Mm -hmm. that that fizzles out a little for me. Yeah, totally. I, I know exactly what you're talking about and I can't wait to get into it. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll get into spoilers then, but um, just want to say if anyone is listening now and is like dropping off for spoilers, I uh, just thank you for checking this out. Uh, this is a great game. If anything we said is interesting to you, why not check it out? It's a good time. Yeah, but uh, I think we should get into spoilers. Yeah, it feels like it's the time. I, I think it's the time. Yeah, Tales Tales of Arise, very good video game. Uh, you should play it and then come back and listen to the rest of this. We'll be talking about it again during Godi, I'm sure, in some capacity. So yeah, all right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Hello. We are back, and we are now in spoiler territory. This is your last warning. It's a bit harsh. Uh, Final (laughs) warning uh, until we just talk about these spoilers for the entire game. But we're just going to start, I think, by setting up like the inciting event of the game and the opening hours. Like like we kind of alluded to, the game's plot has almost like a Kill Bill, like Mega Man X framing device where they show <laughs> you the worlds, they show you the villains and everything. I got to say, I found the first like chapter of this game, the first Lord's area, just like exhilarating. I thought this is such a great opening to a game. So essentially the status of the world is there are Renans and Danans. Renans are the sort of oppressors of the Danans and um, each Renan lord rules over one part of the Danan homeworld. So it starts in Calaglia, I believe. Yes. uh, Which is this like just the worst place to live. It's just volcanoes and lava. And the lord who rules over there is called like Wild Beast or something. (laughs) It's like a Mad Max villain, basically. Yeah. Balsip so wild beast, yeah, yeah, wild bees in volcano land, <laughs> and uh, it opens with yeah. just like essentially a camp of slaves, and like it just kind of shows you how awful things are, like how brutal the oppressors are, and how hopeless everyone there is. The player is given the role of uh, someone who just goes by the Iron Mask, and he is a character. He's a Danon in the camp who can't feel pain. So he's like the closest thing that that the slaves have to a superhero, where it's this guy that will like go and take a beating for someone who like literally can't bear it anymore. To me, that was so overwhelmingly sad, but also like such a great way to introduce the hero of the game. It's someone who like doesn't have a concept of what pain is, doesn't know that like a better world could exist. And is just like, well, I might as well just try to make it easier for other people with whatever this condition my body has, you know, like it's just, I'm just going to go and take a beating for someone else. That, that to me was very haunting. Mm. And as that character learns more and as he sort of like falls into the role of a savior for, for these people, I was really just so rooting for him like the whole time. And it was so like the minute he like gets like a rusty sword, like the first time you fight, you have a rusty sword and rags and the guard who you're fighting like isn't even scared of you because he's so the status of the Danans and Renans is so established that the idea of like a Danon standing up for themselves is like not even a worry or a concern. That whole like that whole 
beginning, I was like, this is this is something very special. And it is. I don't want to I don't want to write off the whole game, but this is the kind of stuff that that the game is opening with. It is a very confident and and emotional beginning. And and quickly you're sort of on this like again, this like Mad Max action scene where there's a train delivering what they call like special cargo to the Renan Lord of Calaglia. And it's revealed to be like a woman who's who's confined in one of the train cars and uh, complimenting Alfin, who goes by Iron Mask at this time in the story, uh, his inability to feel pain. Shion, who's the woman in the train, whenever anyone touches her, they get electrocuted. So it's our two leads are someone who can't feel pain and someone who can only make others feel pain. And of course, she's a Renan, but she's somehow gone against the Renans. It's not clear why initially. She's very guarded, very tough. Uh, she, in many ways, is like the foil to Alfin's sort of like thoughtless selflessness. Uh, she's like, I'm here because I need to kill all the five lords now that I'm free, now that I'm no longer being delivered to the Lord for a reason not yet explained. You look tough. Uh, let's go kill lords together, basically. <laughs> and more importantly, I forgot the reveal of it, but there's this legendary sword called the Blazing Sword that's just like a stick of fire. And Shion and Alfin together... They need each other to like activate this sword. And this is sort of like the symbol of hope for Danans. Correct me if I'm if I'm getting anything wrong or forgetting anything, but that's like the sort of opening beats of this game's story. Yeah. He also links up with like some freedom fighters. I think yeah. that, that like catalyzes him further to becoming this like hero, like savior archetype. But oh yeah, yeah that's that's pretty like on board from what I experienced. And that happens like a bit later because from what I remember, there's sort of it's like just Shion and him and like this sort of meek doctor who helps out Alfin. And that chapter ends with like the freedom fighters and Alfin defeating the Lord in the most like climactic one of the like coolest fights in the game mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you break down the like metal giant door that was keeping him there and then part of his mask breaks off and then you get the intro cutscene. <sighs> so cool i love that moment so much yeah you know now that i'm thinking about this too when you break down that dome uh, caliglia they're living under an artificial like what almost looks like a forever mine like you're in the middle yeah. of mordor and it's just on fire and it's just crags and rocks and death and desolence and there's no sky there's no night sky there's no any of that it's just that like oh my god I forgot how that started. It's very much going for kind of like an allegory of the cave vibe where it's like these people don't know what the outside world is, so they can't miss anything. You know, they can't miss stars or not feeling pain. That 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 really it really sets the tone. And I think like it, it's made clear like kind of how hopeless their mission is. And that makes mm -hmm. it all the more inspiring when they pull these things off. And yeah, and after after they take out the first lord, what I really love doing is like I didn't immediately go to what the next area was. I just like checked in on the like town of freedom fighters and like the beginning area and just seeing like how the NPCs their like thoughts have changed. Like their their like ambient dialogue is different. Like you see like what hope how hope has transformed that place. I found that to be very effective as well. Because I think what's really interesting is when you start in uh, Caliglia, you also, like you as Alfin, are in what is the worst part of that realm also. 
right? So there yeah. are the fact that there even are freedom fighters elsewhere means that they already are in a better place than you and everybody else that you are surrounded with initially, which I think is like kind of a little magic trick that this game pulls is they it is so hopeless when you start that it's wild to see that anybody could be doing okay in a place that seems this disproportionately uh, oppressive. And I think that idea of the game pulling a magic trick narratively happens over and over again every time you visit a new realm. But I like that this is kind of a mini version of the entire game in a way. It's just this first realm with this first lord. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't I can't wait to talk about Eldamencia and Dohalim because mm-hmm. like especially after you have this stuff with the the organization, the observers, we'll probably talk about them. Like to see a place like Eldamencia for Alfin and to and for Renwell and for all of these characters and just be like wait pause like this exists <laughs> why does this exist like there's yeah. no pot like and then the parallels right that you can draw between that in the fantasy world and the game world and then to what's going on in the real world mm-hmm. there's so much to unpack about what this game is trying to say about enslavement about mm-hmm. fighting for your freedom and it's just so uh like i said totally on point and amazing and incredible and hope inspiring in some cases and in some other cases like completely what is go like in what world i guess we're <laughs> out in, yeah that's yeah, a great have way to, to say feel it. pain to, like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess the second realm you end up in uh, is, you know, classic video game shit. You start off in the volcano area (laughs) and then end up in the winter area. But what I love about about the second realm is just it's very cold, uh, both literally and figuratively, in that everyone in the second realm is kind of turned against each other. And I think that was the moment when I really, really started to love what this game was trying to do. Because when you start the game and it's like, okay, we're here in a prison camp in a volcano. There's like a weird warlord who runs the place. He obviously sucks. There's a big like, <laughs> fake wall around the whole place. Uh, beat the shit out of him and then leave. And you end up in the second realm and it's everybody living in their own houses and hanging out and doing whatever. But it's its own different version of oppression. I was like, oh my God, is every realm just going to be exploring all the different ways that uh, people can essentially oppress others? I thought was like a really interesting conceit for a game and knowing very early on there's going to be five lords. We're going to tackle this five different ways. I thought it was fascinating. I was like, okay, I'm kind of on board with this. I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know how well it's going to be handled. Uh, And, you know, more on that later. But I was very interested in the second realm when... This version of oppression essentially takes the form of almost espionage in a way, but specifically just people turning on their own. Uh, essentially, yeah, it felt very Big Brother y. Yes. It's like everyone's very afraid to like say the wrong thing, or, or yeah. like if you help someone else, it might be spotted by someone else who will rat you out, that kind of thing. Yes, which um, the city of snitches. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Exactly. Which like all leads up to, you know, you finding essentially another freedom fighter group. You know, at, at this point, I think Zephyr is gone and captured. Zephyr is the freedom fighter that you meet up with in the first realm. Zephyr is gone and captured. And uh, you're trying to go save him. And you link up with other freedom fighters in this realm. And of course, the guy who's leading that turns out to be the second lord who's been in disguise the whole time, which is like obvious when it happens, but actually a really good twist. Like, of course, yeah. that's how this was going to turn out the whole way. But I've loved this area. I thought, I honestly, of all of the realms, I think this is maybe the most successful at like tackling a thematic conceit and like pulling it off. Because the amount of times you see people turn on one another, 
people who like you have no and you don't know them at all you just know that they're people who are being oppressed in a different way than like literally needing to fucking farm lava out of a volcano it's really sad it's really harrowing and the ability to go in and save those people feels fucking spectacular it also we can get to it later if we want but the end of that boss fight is the best thing in the whole video game uh oh my god Yes. Law just punches the dude in the face in the middle of his evil monologue. Like, you think that you phased the boss. You know, you go through phase one and phase two. You've met up with Law at this point. And uh, when you get to the second phase, you think that there's a third phase is going to start because the Lord, like, grabs this orb that has a superpower built into it and starts monologuing. And you think he's going to, like, absorb it and become this big, horrible beast. And Law punches him so hard, he knocks him out of the room that you're fighting in. And he, like, gets electrocuted (laughs) on the ceiling and it explodes. And it is... I literally jumped out of my seat and screamed. Like, just... Not even a word. I just yelled out loud because I was so stoked. Ugh. I love the second realm. Law's introduction is interesting, too, because I I loved his dad, Zephyr, who's the freedom fighter you mentioned. And like he makes sort of a a noble sacrifice. I was pissed they killed him. I don't know if they needed to, but I Mm -hmm. I get why. I mean, it it ties back into sort of the themes of selflessness where like what I really loved even more than his sacrifice was when you first meet Law. Law is like working on the side of the snitches and is like whatever, whatever they call it, the secret police bureau bureau of observation. Bureau of Observation. Yeah, there it is. That is very 1984. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Just in case you don't notice, you can't trust us. (laughs) But like Law has a lot of animosity towards his father and you get into a fight with like him and other guards and Zephyr's in your party at that point. And there's not a cutscene about it, but it just shows that Zephyr's not attacking. Like he won't attack his own son. And Law's just like going at him. And like in, I love when RPGs take the battle and use that as a storytelling moment. And like just seeing mm. Zephyr like not raise a finger against his own son was mm. like a very powerful moment to me. But yeah, it was interesting because I think that like this might go into the pacing issues we brought up later, but like Law's introduction is that he was on that side and that kind of goes forgotten the minute he joins your party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like these people, right, the Bureau of Observation, they were like snitching on people who were actually doing things and snitching on innocent people and just being like, yo, like if you don't do this thing for me, if you don't go out there and like hunt those Zoogles or go out there when you could possibly be killed by Zoogles and like farm this spice, you're done. You're gone. You're going to the tower. Goodbye. And so how many people's deaths, right, was law complicit in, especially then to have, right, and then to have the trauma, right, of his father, Freedom Fighter, being murdered, executed brutally, right, in front of him Mm -hmm. in this, like, Coliseum style, like, uh, hands in the gallows type, uh, you know, those hand holders type, you know, execution. And then he's, you know, Renwell calls him the dog of the group. You know, he's scratching on his chest like he's big shelling, like nothing's wrong. And I'm like, man, like and and we'll talk about like what he tells Rinwell in this moment where where the game starts unpacking Rinwell. And it's like Mm -hmm. tonally, what is going on? Like, why is he so why is he cooling? Why is he so relaxed when like, I mean, he he becomes the like really quick. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In a weird way, like, my thing with Law is that I constantly felt like he should have been the protagonist. As much as I like Alfin and Xion, and I I love that dynamic between the two of them, you meet Law, and and what's happening with him is so complex that to not give it its due narratively or thematically, like, really actually Mm -hmm. undercuts the entire structure of of his arc. 
because he even has like yeah. the voice and the vibe of the protagonist. Like he has kind of like the energy that I would expect to get. But having him just be a side character and having some of the revelations and the understanding and 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 the the parsing of trauma through those like tiny skits on the side every once in a while is definitely not giving it enough due for the stuff that he goes through early on uh, and the stuff as you were saying Eric that he is extremely complicit in we didn't even mention this is probably worth right. mentioning but essentially all of the lords the five lords are, are trying to harvest this energy out of all of the uh, out of all the Danans in various means um, so in the first section they all have these uh orbs or these like crystals embedded into their hands and as they continue to work it's essentially just sucking the life out of them in the second realm it's the people who are thrown in the tower uh who are imprisoned and then this essence is pulled from them and i guess the idea is all of them have different takes on how they think they can extract the most essence from these people and we'll get into how the other lords are doing it because holy shit but this one by itself i think is really nefarious and really upsetting and and as you're saying, Eric is like honestly a little bit on the nose in terms of what's happening IRL. I, I guess they all are. But th- this one really, really struck a chord with me. And uh, I think it's the most successful of, of the five realms, definitely. Yeah. I, you still get told like this is a conflict, especially at this moment with like the Renans and Danans. It's like you have to imagine the, the choices you have in this mm-hmm. situation. And like we're going to show you people who made a choice. Yeah. Like who just like good or bad and unpack that like yeah when this moment happened in the game for me i was like yeah i'm gonna keep playing like i'm i'm Mm -hmm. so in i'm i'm playing more i'm binging more another three hours let's go yeah and i think that punch the punch against the lord is like law's big moment of like i'm gonna make a choice i'm gonna i'm gonna follow my father's footsteps and be a freedom fighter but i think like i would love to have seen more of that identity crisis like that maybe instinct yeah honestly it seems like I feel like Dohalim, the character who is a lord who joins the party, could have had Law's backstory. I feel like that they would have made more sense for his character because mm-hmm. so much of his character is like dealing with. I, I honestly don't even know how to make sense of Dohalim. We'll more on him in a bit. He, he, I'm gonna have a lot to say about Dohalim. Dohalim will scratch Great. his chin and say the most obvious thing in the most complicated way possible, and that's like ninety percent of his yes. life. Yeah. But like, it seems to me that the sky isn't just blue, but it's full of vaporous substance called clouds. It's like, all right, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I do think like in, even in the game, like we said before, or you mentioned before, Eric, like having a dialogue with the game. I think even in the very unsuccessful moments or the inconsistencies, the game is like bringing these topics up, which I think is a good thing. Ultimately, it's like yes. we are having these conversations because the game like brought attention to them. And I think the game is like very fast paced, despite how bloated it can feel. The plot moves very quickly and it works so well in Calaglia because like we know the stakes, we know what's at risk. We like do it and we're and we're free and it's so exciting and the adventure has begun. Um, and in moments like this, I wouldn't have mind. I wouldn't have minded spending like another five hours to like deal with what we just went through, you know, and like, yeah. maybe cut one of the later areas or something like th- there are there are moments of the game that could have used more time and moments that like could have been way faster. I think I agree with you because one of my big one of my major complaints about this area and, and the ways in which the narrative ripples out afterwards is there's a lot of conversation between Alfin and Law in which Alfin tells law what his dad would have done or like talks about like oh yeah you know this Mm. zephyr would be so proud of you etc etc as if they had known each other for a really long time before zephyr essentially was executed and i just did not feel that connection between those two in such a way where alfred could speak with any 
kind of uh, bravado about what Zephyr would have thought. Like, as far as I yeah. knew, Ze- I was just starting to scratch the surface of who this dude was before he died. Yeah. Yeah. That's why sometimes Alfin feels like a ditto to me. Like, it's like, mm. I struggle with him because, like, he has the mask, right? He mm-hmm. can't feel pain, which we can get into. But I feel like, okay, maybe is it not just, like, physical pain, but, like, actual, like, emotional pain as well? Does yeah. he actually have, like, pretty low emotional intelligence until he has the experience in his newly realized life to, like, understand what Rimwell is going through or understand like why one of like the fifth lord pisses him off so much and like what yeah. happens on Linagiris or any of that like I'm I'm in this place with Alfin because like I he is Steven like I think you said this is a great introduction to these types of themes to this topics and I think more so than any introductory history textbook I've read right this captures the feelings of the oppressed right more so than it deals with the feelings of like the conquerors or deals with the rationale of what they do dohalim is like the only insight we get into that we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that probably and that's kind of it but sorry i there are just some parallels with tales of arise and like what it's trying to teach where i'm like you're capturing emotions this is a good entry point but you're really not asking i don't know if the the player is really asked to make I don't know if we're actually asked to make decisions. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if we're actually asked, you know, like role play this out, right? If this was like the Witcher and you can decide, yo, I'm going to help this tree out, this demon tree out, or nah, I think this demon tree is setting me up. Like you don't get the payoff of choosing, uh, certain actions yeah and it's not that kind of game but you know i i do feel like the game is making too many value judgments in a lot of instances and i Mm -hmm. I think it's maybe worth getting into the third realm in this case because this this was the moment when i think it fell off the rails for me as much as i love the third realm (laughs) conceptually i don't think it pulls it off like literally at all and in fact is the opposite of what i was hoping the game would try and do uh (laughs) because okay so the third you finish the first and second realm volcano land ice land and then you end up in like beautiful verdant fields land uh everything is gorgeous and and you show up and you walk into the city well you walk through some farmland first and there's a bunch of danons who like own land and are farmers and they're like hanging out and the whole party is like dude this is fucking weird and then they're like oh yeah you should go hang out in the city like it's great it's a cool place it's a cool place to hang out and you're like that doesn't make any sense and you go in (laughs) and literally like one of the first things you see is a renin knight in his huge giant armor like just chatting with some kids and they're all like i want to be like you when i grow up and he's like maybe you can and everybody is so twisted about this (laughs) like everybody has no idea what the hell's happening and Essentially, you're you're beckoned to the palace of this area by the lord of the land, Dohalim, who is like, hey, I have been hearing some whispers, maybe not so much whispers as screams of the uh, other lords that you <laughs> brutally murdered <laughs> on your way here. Uh, just want to make sure that that doesn't happen to me because I'm actually a good guy. And I, I make sure that everyone is equal here and everything is cool and everyone's good. There's no enslavement. There are no prison camps. I'm not turning people against each other. All we're doing is <laughs> hanging out and it's all mutually beneficial. And I'm sitting there in my seat, rocking back and forth, just like, yes, yes, yes. We're doing the coolest shit because this dude has no idea that he still is enforcing structures of power on these people and is still an oppressor, has no idea. Yeah. I was fucking 
amped. I love during that dinner scene, Shion just tries to shoot him. Like even during yeah. that conversation, yes. and I was like, like, yes, this like, is great. This. This. No. The game yeah. is doing everything I wanted to. I was <laughs> at the edge of my seat, loving this segment. And that's the look. The look Shion gives him, the yeah. side eye, just like, yo. <laughs> I, I think it's worth saying too, Shion I think is like easily the star of the cast here, in my opinion. Yes. I think like, we'll get to her more later, but I just like, of the better written characters, to me, she was the best one. But we'll talk about her later. The, the, way, the way this story turns in this segment, which is worth mentioning, the, the way the game plays out, it's like, I would say every section or every realm is kind of like a season of TV. There's a turn yeah. in the arc of this season in this realm where you find out that under the nose of Dohalim, there is some kind of uh, like almost chemical, almost magical influence where people are being lured into these mines that they're they're working in, but they're not oppressed. They're not slaves. We promise. But they're essentially getting brought into this room uh, and being exposed to this substance that slowly makes them turn into like a metallic goop in which they lose their essence. So just in the same way in the volcano area, they had the the orbs in their hands. And in mm. the second area, they were sent into the towers and their essence was extracted that way. In this way, they're literally being broken down into their essence. It's like an almost more refined version of this light that we see flowing from all the Danans elsewhere. And Dohalim is like, I must put a stop to this. Well, he doesn't believe it at first and he kind of loses his mind. But then he's like, I will put a stop to this. We'll make sure that nobody turns into Alex Mack ever again. And it's like... <laughs> That's not what was interesting about this area. Like th the idea that there's an outside influence, you know, turning the realm under your nose into all the other ones is not at all what I thought mm -hmm. was interesting about Eldamencia. The idea that Dohalim doesn't even realize that he's upholding structures of power and 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 allowing people to almost believe that they're not oppressed is like more fucked up in some ways than everything else that's happening in this game. I was I was like extremely disappointed by it. But at the end of it you get uh you get Dohalim and Kisara on your team. So that was pretty cool. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're the best. They're the best. So like that area to me served like very nineties post race to like the late stage capitalism that we're living under now. Yes. Because like you have Dohalim looking like Mercutio. Just <laughs> absolutely like <laughs> This man's head is in the clouds. Yes. He yeah. is like not even like when you're when you're talking about like what it means for him to like uphold these systems and like that comment you made in the beginning about like that little girl who's like, I want to grow up to be just like you, Renan soldier in armor that like is part of this whole death squad that like kills people that look like me. Like I man, it's so it, it's so hard because it's like I'm like, that's where we're at now. Right. Like we have all of the like visions of not being in a <laughs> just the failed state that we live in. Right. But like what happens, like the people need something after that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like how does no one else know about El Dementia? Why was Dohalim just ready to like his ruling was just so we've already talked about how complicity is just like law. But I digress. There's a weird, there's a weird yeah. moment too. I, I completely agree, Eric, about like and and Brendan about just sort of the the more interesting thing was the fact that he thought nothing was wrong and that people there thought nothing was wrong. Yes. But there's a weird moment after the boss fight where he's like, actually, I didn't want peace for the sake of it. I just felt guilty and like I I don't deserve any yeah. of praise. Oh my god! I and I, I never yeah. like fully understood what they were going for with that because like I guess what they were trying to do is like 
they're like, oh, we want we want to paint a more complicated picture of this character. But it was just more confusing and I think did even more disservice to the themes that were being tackled before we got all of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And going back to what you were talking about with the second realm, um, Eric, you're mentioning like the game doesn't give you choice. The game doesn't give you the opportunity to make decisions. The decision is made for you in this case that everything that's happening in Elden Bencia by the time you've wrapped up that boss fight is totally cool and good. And mm-hmm. that it's cool that Dohalim joins, it's cool that Kisara joins, and uh, you're just going to go on your merry way and take out the fourth lord. And I was like, there's so much shit that still needs to be mined out of this place. I, I, I know exactly what you mean in terms of its connection to right now. I mean, the, the way everything kind of breaks bad in the third realm is a bunch mm-hmm. of people internally in the palace and elsewhere believe that Eldamencia was better when there was an even more rigid structure of power where the Lord was a real piece of shit and are trying to bring that back. And it felt so much to me. And I know that like maybe, maybe possible, maybe not, but it felt so much to me like it was inspired by what happened in January 6th at the Capitol, Mm, like mm -hmm. because they literally rushed the palace and take it over. And it was like, I mean, hard to not make the comparison, at least uh, for me and to not even question that to be like, well, we took out all the bad guys and that's it. There's, it'll never happen again. It was like nonsensical to me. And at that point in the game, I was like, we got two good ones and one okay one. You know, like there are some interesting ideas being mm-hmm. raised here. It seems to have the wrong idea. It seems to like have a maybe even problematic take uh, here at the end of this. But two out of three ain't bad. Let's move on to number four was my thought. Um, but I was hoping that having Dohalim with me would have illuminated a little bit more about just like how he felt about the whole situation. You're right, Stephen. Him just being like, I'm guilty and that's bad was like, maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not enough, though, man. Yeah. I found it yeah. similar, <laughs> similar issues, but I actually found Kisara's story in that section more effective. Because I totally she's agree. someone who's essentially a cop. Mm. She's like, yeah. you know, an enforcer who is a Danon against the Danons and suddenly the person she has to question the person and the system she was defending mm-hmm. and instead chooses to defend like actual people and not this like one city and it's fucked up illusion of peace. Yes. So like, again, it's not completely successful, but I just found that that her story alongside Dohalim's, the reason this wasn't a complete train wreck was because of like her and her brother who died believing in Dohalim. Like that to me was more successful yeah. than Dohalim himself. Yeah. Cause there, there is that angle here where like Dohalim is better than everything we've seen before. Like, don't get me yeah, wrong. Well, like we, we, <laughs> We've seen Orwell and Wild Beast, basically. But uh, still, I mean, <laughs> compared to those two, like, if you if you had to pick of the three who's going to be your ruler, unfortunately, like, you would still pick Dohalim. But, like, yeah. I, I, I think and you're there, right. There's even there's even commentary in that where it's like your your best choice is a milk toast ruler who no one believes in and doesn't know what he's doing. Yes. It's like <laughs> there could be commentary there as well. But, yeah, you know, they don't the, go into it. It's it's no. the most interesting platter of ideas. And like, I would say maybe one of them is mined out. And, and that ends up being Kisara's at the end, which is why she's such a great addition to the team. Um, yeah. Mechanically and narratively, because I love her giant show. Oh, yeah. She rules. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. This was a I was very conflicted about this area. And I was very conflicted about the fact that it's where the arena is also, because, man, was I going back to Eldamencia a lot for that arena. <laughs> I love those fights. So, Eric, before we started recording, you mentioned that you kind of had like a list of like yes. what you thought of the cast and who was better written or not. Now that we have the full cast together, want to say one positive thing about the game while we're here. I love that whenever you pause the game, 
the menu screen changes. Like when you're looking mm-hmm. at the menu, it's like a different yes. illustration of the characters. And my my heart did like I felt I felt it was very heartwarming to see the whole cast in one place. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it was the original four. But seeing Kasara and Doheling there was kind of cool too. But anyway, I want to hear your thoughts on on the full cast now that we've kind of yeah. Well, I just want to add to your previous point. You know, walking in the same direction. Like, you know how they're kind of looking off at the side? Oh, yeah. not really in that main yeah. menu. Yeah, I love that, too. That was great. Totally. Um, so I'm going to go through each character real quick. For Dohalim, I just I'm have, so I love Dohalim. And that's just because <laughs> Dohalim is fine as hell. Uh, <laughs> despite all of Dohalim's problems. Yeah. I just kind of like, but he's like sitting here looking like, I don't know. <laughs> Dohalim knows what Dohalim is doing. And Dohalim can <laughs> <laughs> Uh, There's a reason I played as Dohalim more than Alfin by the time the game was over. You, I think, yes. Eric, you texted me a picture of Dohalim like decked out in all of the like cosmetic accessories, yeah. and you're like, he knows what he wants. Yeah, like, like, he knows what he's doing. I gave him the uh, the butterfly wings too, and I was just yes. like, yo, he's little demon horns. Oh my god, yeah, we didn't even mention this, but there's this whole cosmetic system in this game, just like in Scarlet Nexus. And Stephen, you and I talked a lot about this with Scarlet Nexus, where like you could add sunglasses to a character and like ruin the game just by doing I gave that. Everyone sunglasses, yeah, yeah. But also, <laughs> it's like a cyberpunk Matrix kind of thing, so it almost makes sense for them to all be wearing sunglasses. But in this game, mm-hmm. you can like destroy everything that they're trying to do emotionally. <laughs> Uh, I found it very difficult to not do that. I'll say that much. Yeah. My my Alfin has bunny ears. <laughs> that. That's great. <laughs> I gave Shion sunglasses for a lot of the game and it really worked because she's yes, like, I did too. Most scenes early on, she's like too cool to be there and has higher tech than everyone else. So like yeah. this woman with a giant gun and like matrix sunglasses, I'm like, this rules. This yeah. is a great look. Yeah. Um, it actually, I, the, the point that I had to take them off of her was uh, when I got her back in the fifth realm. Where I was like, mm. that did not play out very well with her and sunglasses, <laughs> which we'll get to when yeah. we get to the yeah. I'm sorry, Eric, tell us more about Dohalim. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of that moment where she puts her hands down, where she puts her hand down, uh, and out because Alfin, you know the moment I, I'm talking about here. Um, just that paralleled with like the sunglasses, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that vibe change. So for Alfin. Really, for Alfin, it was the uh, getting to a point where I'm like, oh, like, does he emotionally not know what pain is like, too? Or is Mm. he like, that's a great question. There's a moment where he finally feels pain. And it hit for me again that like, oh, like this man, like really did not know what it felt like to take the full brunt of like a dragon's like hoof. The same way yeah. Law knows it, the same way Kisara. So that that all that also kind of has me like this this leadership he gives through this almost like like I said, I gave him bunny ears because he's out here just kind of like geeked and like ready and willing and so like so hopefully so inspiring inspiringly like I am going to do the most I can with the tools that I have and yeah. I won't stop until I can't go any further. Right. And like even if he's telling people, you know, I know you feel that way, but Renwell murdering is bad. You know, like, I, <laughs> yeah, it's this it's this like feeling of like, I, man, I, I love Alfin and I love what Alfin is supposed to represent. But I also feel like Alfin can like Alfin is we have words and names for people like Alfin. And I don't know if all of those are kind. So it's like, I. Yeah. I know what you mean, but but I I want I want so badly f- 
for what Alfin is fighting for, what Alfin is standing for, how Alfin is proceeding as like a character. I want all of those things to exist. Like in my heart yeah. of hearts, I'm like, I want things to be this like like law tells him man i follow you because like you keep things hopeful like you know mm -hmm. where you're going you see even when things like come at you you seem to be like you know these characters really have like a bond and a, an appreciation for one another because of what they see one another go through that yeah, i don't yeah. think i've felt in another game maybe outside of like final fantasy 13 and that's only towards the end but so that that's my feeling on alfin my thing with alfin um, is that i feel like he's he's captain america in a way without like yes. a tony stark to kind of take him to task every once in a while like there, there's no one oh. else on the team who's willing to except for shion occasionally but even still shion like readily accepts the optimism and the hope generally uh, especially as the game keeps going, even though she's a little bit more closed off in the beginning for obvious thorn slash curse related reasons. But um, <laughs> that was always my my thought with Alfin was that like he is just Captain America without anyone to question, should you be Captain America in this moment? <laughs> That's uh, why I, I loved like early on when yeah. Shion is, is more antagonistic in some ways. Um, there's a moment at the very end of the second realm where Alfin is like freaking out because Zephyr died and like mm -hmm. maybe a couple other people died. And she just slaps him and is like, what we're doing is actually impossible. Like you can't, if you really want to do this, if, if you want to commit regicide and free all the Danans, like <laughs> yes. you have to accept the losses. Like you yeah, can't yes. dwell on that. And I, I thought that that, like, I wish there were more moments where Shion kind of called him out like that. Yeah. Obviously like mourn the loss of, of Zephyr, but like, you know, I think he, there's a naivete that the game more, um, directly addresses and then it just becomes like the game is expecting you to be Captain America too. Uh, yeah along alongside that right mm -hmm. like all of the characters mm -hmm. slowly become more like Alfin as the game goes on I think I think naivety is the, is the perfect way of describing it Stephen because even in making this the protagonist even in making Alfin the protagonist instead of somebody a little bit more complex like Xion as a protagonist or as Law could have been as the protagonist, you almost learn a lot about what the game is trying to say and, and its ability to say those things confidently in a way. Like putting us in the shoes of Alfin instead of somebody else almost is like a precursor to how they're going to fumble the ball when they get it in the third realm, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Because that is the, that's the outlook that Alfin has, right? Alfin meets Dohalim and is yeah. like, he's right, we're good, and then moves on and finds something else to fuck around with. This pool, this pool to... of weird metal seems bad. We should fuck with that instead of this. Yeah, and then like so, like going in. So I'll I'll talk about Rinwell and Law real quick. Yeah. Oh, and then Kisara, because I have Kisara real quick, and then let's talk about four and just like the. <laughs> what 360 that happened <laughs> yeah yeah get back to like you know that new uh area but um so renwell i feel is the most tonally like consistent through what i've played so far because mm. she's side-eyeing everyone when you get kisara and um dohalim she's side-eyeing kisara like yo like you're a whole guard police officer type individual for this you know renan lord like what are you doing? Like you're goofy. Like she's like very honest and upfront and like real with everyone that she comes across and she does not serve it. Like, I don't know. She's not serving it the same way as Alfin. She's like very like, 
I don't trust these people. Yeah. And she I kind of feels like, like a stand in for the audience in some ways. I feel mm. like I often would agree with what she was saying in that, or at least in those moments, like we shouldn't trust them right away. We shouldn't do this. Yeah. You know? right. And it's also worth mentioning that she comes from that second realm. Right. And, and in the second realm where people are already turning on one another, just like regular people, she is the only mage left that we know of. Mm-hmm. So she is like being hunted actively by all these people who are already willing to turn on each other who are not mages. Everybody's actively looking for her because if they can throw her under the bus, that might seat them in a slightly higher position of power in the second realm. So when she escapes that, she comes into Calaglia uh, because she's like, yeah, man, this volcano seems way better than where I came from. <laughs> uh, and be and because yeah. of that, because she's you know born in a place of constantly looking over her shoulder, you know, questioning everybody around her, like, are these people going to turn me into the Lord here? I like that inquisitiveness and and that unwillingness to just kind of trust everybody at face value that she has throughout, like, pretty much the whole game. Yes, yes. And so that's why I have such a problem, right? Rinwell's gone through all of this. Rinwell has such intuition. Rinwell knows what's up. Mm-hmm. That's why I have such a problem when like you're fighting in the fourth zone, Aldrameka. I, I really keep saying her name wrong and I hate that. But um Almedria. Almedria. When you yeah. fight Almedria or when you see Almedria the first time and you see what you know she does to this town. Renwell sees her and she's like, yo, this woman killed my parents in front of me. Mm-hmm. Like, I like, what do you mean we're not killing her? What do you mean like there are plot reasons why I can't do this? No, there aren't. I'm will I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like she sees that and the way law you know, has no post-traumatic stress disorder, cooling yeah. off the complicity of like <laughs> murdering possibly hundreds of Danons is telling her, no, I I know what anger and hatred is. Like I, you can't kill her. I won't let you. Stands in front of a key blast. Like yeah. I, like, what is going on here? It's it's out of nowhere too. Yeah, it's really bizarre because like that that plot for revenge is dropped on you in that moment too. So like. Right. It, it. But yeah, like there's no we've literally just been killing bad guys the whole game. So like all of a sudden we're like, <laughs> right. they're like, oh, wait, no, this one seems cool. Like she just turned a town into a puddle and is like, ah! she's like the least even wild beasts might have had a soft side compared to this person. Yes. Like there's nothing going on with the witch who just turned. And there's also like a weird this is where the game starts to fumble into like, well, Danons can be bad, too. And it's like, yeah. I don't need that in a story of rebellion. Like, it just feels like, yeah. you know, there, there's a place for nuance. Like, I don't think it should be like one note, but like the fourth area is essentially pitched as like the Danons have seemingly removed the Lord from power, but the like head of the resistance is a shitty guy. And then Alfin's like, well, I guess Danons can be bad too. And it's like, this is yeah. so trite. And it's like pouring skim milk into the message of the game <laughs> from like moments ago. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> Yeah, just just to like wrap it, the, the way the way it works is that she will constantly <laughs> feign death. Essentially, she'll just like fake her own death and then allow all these Danons to think that they're in power, so she can then trick them into a place where she can melt them down into pools of Alex Mac uh, metal goop, and then uh, do the whole thing again. And she's just done this over and over again, and this is her method essentially of uh, just tricking people into turning into metal goop. But I agree with you, Stephen. That said, like, the third realm was at least trying to do something interesting and fucked up. And this is, like, the least, this is not even interesting. You know, like, that. this (laughs) this is where the pacing issues for me, like, really started to 
come to a head. As much as I enjoy this experience of going through realm after realm and the like, oh, I wonder what the next one's going to be. Yeah, it's a fun game to play. Like the moments yeah. in between what we're talking about, like cooking and getting to know the characters, the skits, which we talked a lot about, like all of that is why I'm still playing. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah. but yeah, you're right. Like the fourth area is where things start to really kind of fizzle out. Yeah. But I, I, I so know what you mean, Eric, about, about Renwell, like especially to have Law be the one to stop her is like, Dude, let her show this person why they're hunting magicians, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that'd be the sickest thing. Law got to punch that one dude in the face. Let Rinwell have her moment. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, nah, y'all are bogus. And like, <laughs> like I'm still playing, but y'all lost me here. Like, yeah, y'all really that's... lost me. Like, I'm kind of... Because it, it also served me very, like, anti-looter, anti-like yes. what happens when, like, someone has to overthrow a government and you do have to deal with, like, opportunist folk that rise. Because, I mean, you do have people who are opportunists who do rise in these situations. You got people who are, like, at these Black Lives Matter protests, right? And I'm saying this specifically because, like, it was such an issue, right, at the time where it was like, yo, like... You got to make sure you know who's like organizing this space. You got to make sure it's not this individual who's going to incite a certain thing and get people like locked up, but only like black folk locked up. Right. Because that mm. was happening over these past few summers. Like, yeah, it, it was everyone who said they were down for what they needed to be down for was not down for it and was profiting off of it. So it's like that is a very real like thing you have to do, but you haven't earned the ability to tell that narrative. I don't think this game earned the right to tell that. Yet, yeah. Especially after how they handled Eldamencia. Totally. Yeah. And th- this is this is kind of what I mean about this game. Like the my first blush with this game. So you finish that first realm and you're like, okay, there's like a kind of interesting thing here. It's a little bit, you know, choppy. It's a little bit on the nose. But then you get into that second realm. And it's like, oh, man, we're actually doing something really interesting. And it might be able to pull it off because you've had two realms in a row where like it really works. Uh, but you're right. Mm-hmm. This is this is the moment where I was like, not only is this game not pulling it off, but it very frequently is actually making the wrong points uh, as much yeah. as it wants to. Like, it's yeah. literally a game that says it's an ally and then turns out to not be in the moments where it counts. And that's the thing that, like, really fucked yes. me up the most. And this is where you stop playing, right? Or not stop, but, like, you've kind of slowed down. This is, like, I slowed down. Yeah. And then, like, I think it was, like, yesterday I beat the boss and got, like, through the fifth area towards, like, the final lord. Right. But I but I, I do want to say, though, like I loved I, I'm glad this game had me asking those questions, yes. especially at this totally. time right now. You're what? Almost three of the panorama. I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, these are important questions to be asking. So I'm thankful that like I'm engaging with something like that and not something say that costumes itself as a game that's going to talk about these types of societal issues and maybe trigger a form of like, I don't like this obviously isn't going for like a far cry. We're not really going to actually talk about the issues, but we're going to tell you there's politics in it. But whoops, maybe not. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Totally. They're not claiming to be something they're not. So that's why the surprise of this narrative, I still really have enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about the swings and misses. Like like we've said many times, like talking about being invited to these conversations and having the ability to agree and disagree as a player 
even though the narrative is, is expecting you to maybe fall in line in some ways. I, I don't think the game realized it was getting as messy as it did. So there's like a, I don't know, it, these are very big conversations and complicated ideas. And I think the game is is simplifying them in, in areas that are uh, tricky to do. You know, like we said, like the area three and four just like stumble into uh, taking the opposite stance that the game two areas ago was doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the localization team was like, I don't know if localization teams are separate from writing teams or if they're in the writer's room, but I'm really interested in what this writer's room looked like. Was this a Bandai Namco internal studio that was in English? Like, was it an English based writing team? Was it a Japanese based writing team? Was it cross like, what did that team look like? Because I want to know what some of those conversations possibly looked like between like, all right, so here's why we're going to like show Elden Sia this way. And here's why we're going like, I would love to see some of their justifications. Yeah, um, totally. Um, before we before we move on, I do want to hear um, a couple more. You said you had notes about the Kisara. Too. Kisara. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kisara is the last one. Um, I love Kisara. I love her constitution, her personality. I love the fishing minigame. Yes. I love that she's the one who fishes in like full armor. It's so yes. funny. Yeah, yes. it's great. Yeah. And she's like a super great cook. And honestly, just generally like very, very helpful. Like I like her attitude. Brendan, you mentioned her utility and her kit in mm-hmm. combat. I fought the Dohalim boss with her and really enjoyed using like her slower, more, mm. you know, you unlock this uh, new skill that lets her do this quick dash and the AP recharges super fast on yeah. that. So she becomes this like, honestly, anime, you know, badass shield wielding like Valkyrie, just like running from point to point with a giant mace, like soaking up damage and like blocking stuff out. She's awesome. But she was made into a mom. Yeah. And that's not like a, a, you know, that's not like supposed to be anti-mom. And now, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, I don't know how like women would feel about how like Kisara's character has been written, but she like takes on this like motherly role. She's starting to tell everyone about like eating better and like, hey, law, maybe instead of eating meat and potatoes all the time, you should have like a green smooth. Like she's yeah. very much taking that role on and people like comment on it. Like Rinwell's like, she's like the mom of the group. And it's like, is that necessary? Like, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. It feels a little bit like sometimes they they had an idea for the character before they wrote them. So it's like they they had a role like set in stone for them to play mm-hmm. and then wrote them. And then like they're just kind of forced to play that regardless of what was being set up. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, like the more jarring example is Law, where it's like there's going to be like the the Ryuji like headstrong friend of the group, and he's a spy before that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but th- but then when you right. sit down to write the character, it's like, and his dad gets murdered in front of. Oh shit! Have we undone I, everything that we tried to? Fi- <laughs> I think um I, I think the the negative part of the maternal role is that we often see women defaulted to that. You know, like when mm-hmm. there's a female character. So often they're either like the wife or mother of so-and-so. And And that's, I think, again, not to be like anti-mom in any way, but that is the like eye-rolly part of her character. It's like, okay, like Shion is clearly some kind of love interest and then Kisara yes. is like the mother it's it's the big downfall with all three of the characters right and, and and just to round it out with Rinwell she has this moment where she's supposed to take revenge in her own hands and we're like no 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 women shouldn't be like that women shouldn't be violent they should they should allow this stuff to play out themselves it's like dude what the fuck are you doing like yeah. re- like you have three incredible yeah. characters for that you've written, and all three of them just fall under the most like banal tropes possible 
uh, in the moments when it counts the most. Totally. I, I think Kasara's, um, the, the one thing that I'll, I'll say that makes sense with her sort of uh, maternal role is that like, it's very clear Dohalim doesn't know how to do anything. And yes. that is mm-hmm. like, the skits go into that. And I think a way that was, was fun to see where he did, like, he had everything taken care of and Kasara largely was the one doing it. So I think that's yeah. like just the life she's used to. Right. And the game is often exploring, like every character is like conditioned to accept the life they have and they, they default to that in many ways. And, you know, I, that's, I think what they're going for, but again, and it falls into problematic tropes. You know, I wonder if they begin unpacking that. I wonder yeah. if characters go, like, if Kisara goes into a moment where she's like, yeah, I don't have to do this for Dohalim anymore. Or, like, because isn't there almost a moment where she's like, hey, like, Dohalim, I'm not going to still cook and clean for you. Yes. Like, that's going to have to change. I was just going to say, that yeah. that actually does end up happening. It, the, yeah. the way that that resolves, at least from what I've seen, um, a, Dohalim starts to try and take care of himself and fucks up a lot. And then the further into the game you get, the better he is at it. And then eventually she's proud of him. And that's kind of how it works with all the characters, right? Like Lost starts eating better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the conversations the between- spy has a balanced diet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's just kind of how it plays out, unfortunately. It's just like, I'm proud of you now, which like is still kind of mom adjacent. Right. Um, what'd you, what'd you think of Xion, by the way? Yeah. Xion for me, when she rushed Dohalim, I knew right then and there she was a real one. I was like, (laughs) you haven't, you haven't slipped up on me yet. You slapped Alfin and reminded him what this really was when he needed to see that after defeating the second Lord. She started off in the beginning, like super, I think appropriate, like her character has thorns. So like, of course she's going to feel that kind of like none of that felt like weird to me or yeah. any of that her combat utility is just it's it's dope to see her like shooting off like rays and like sliding yeah. and quick dodging and then going into her like uh like super form her awakening form you know i loved to i played as her for a while in the beginning and really yeah, preferred too. using her um it was a lot of fun to use her i it's on the nose but i just love how everything about her character is so consistent like she's the healer with a giant gun she has to keep at a distance but she wants to help people yeah mm-hmm. and like i think the one area of the game that is well paced is her opening up to the cast like that is the one thing that this game like really paced well if there's anything to hang on to as the game kind of like trips and falls and stumbles and picks itself up again in the narrative seeing Shion like grow as a character and and seeing like the thing is it's like it's not that she becomes nice you know it's not that it's like oh now she's friendly she's just able to connect with people in different ways despite the curse she's been given yeah and and i found yeah. that to be very rewarding and that I stays really the case through yeah. the rest of the game as well just that's to good be to clear. hear like Shion yeah. is is very much the most consistent character throughout the entire experience hell yeah yeah the one thing I liked about the fourth realm is there's a there's a moment that's like more of a personal moment between characters at the very end where Alfin feels pain for the first time. Yes. Um, yes. Shion is getting abducted by whatever this game's version of Sephiroth is. I forgot his name, but there's like a oh, big yeah. bad who's secretly the fifth lord. Volran. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I love that he like straight up kills Shion earlier and she's like, I'm fine. We're, we're good. We can keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's never talked about. Anyway, he shows up to kidnap Shion and Alfin reaches out to her to help her and he feels the pain of her thorns for the first yes. time. Mm-hmm. Which I actually like, I kind of gasped at that moment because 
it was so sad because they had made so much progress and she on the reason she's guard is because she doesn't want to hurt people you mm-hmm. know so like she has this sort of inherent camaraderie with Alfin because he can he doesn't feel pain he can be close to her and to see that like him like scream in pain after he touches her arm I, that was a very powerful moment for yeah. me and he has to let go yeah yeah he has to he has to let her he has to, he has to let go and yeah. Xion's gone from your party no more yeah. Xion. Which sucks. <laughs> and my party was not good without her. Gotta go into those Dohalim skills and get him healing. <laughs> and and the way she, her arm drops, just like, it's like this slow motion, like, re, like, weighty, defeated, like, almost like a reversion in a sense. Like, you could tell, like, mentally, just like, something had just, like, crumbled, right? It was, yeah, yeah that moment I was think intense. It, it, it was something where it's like, I think something I've kind of learned in therapy is like understanding my own like kind of cycles, like the, the, the doubt I build for myself and the things I have to remind myself aren't true. Yeah. And it was like all the negative doubt she had worked over was reinforced in that moment. It was yes. like so painful to watch. Yeah. And that's the thing I, I want to make clear. I, I don't want to like discredit any of the more critical conversations we've had because that, that needs to be said. And I think like the game invites those accidentally. <laughs> Um, but I do think that there's a reason we kept playing as far as we did. You know, I think that like there, yeah. the, these characters and this kind of sums up the game is like as uneven as the cast is and as uneven as the story is, we always get a sense of what was meant to be said or potentially meant to be said. And we're like left with like kind of trying to root the game in the right direction and yeah. the characters to like let these characters shine. Let this moment be what it was gearing up to be. It's it's a lot of that throughout the entire experience. Yeah, yeah. So this moment uh, then was really successful, right? When when Shion grasped yeah. Alfin's hand and it failed. Yeah, I I think yeah. Th- I mean this this kind of sets us off into what I think is one of the more interesting parts of the whole game as well, because Alfin now feeling pain for the first time as well is like a huge huge shift for the game, both narratively and mechanically, because you end up washing up ashore on on this kind of like beach island thing. Nobody else in your party is there, and it's just you as Alfin. Uh, you're unable to wield the blazing blade anymore, obviously, because you now feel pain. Uh, and you try and go fight like the most normal looking like like crabs yeah Yeah. like rpg (laughs) creature like level one shit and you just like can't it takes you suck forever you have to do it and i i love that they make you do it they make you kill those two crabs but it's gonna take you like upwards of 10 minutes uh and and just reinforcing how powerless you are in that moment i think is really strong and even when you start reconnecting with your team like they need to keep you alive i i specifically continued playing as alfin during those segments because i thought it would be more like emotionally impactful to play as who is now like clearly the weakest member of the team and i thought that was really powerful but still you don't have Xion anymore Xion is also gone uh and and a lot of that segment of the game is just kind of centered around alfin trying to build up the courage to decide that like this quest that we've set ourselves upon is still worth pursuing even if it means I have to get over my own shit, right? Like everybody else was feeling this way the whole time. Everybody else could feel pain and they came along mm-hmm. with me. Now I'm just alongside them. I think it was like a really powerful piece of the game, especially after stumbling a little bit. It really brought me back in this moment. And I was like totally super yeah. geared up for the fifth realm at this point. The quest for Xion. And yeah, I think this is just a solid entry. Like the fifth realm, it's it feels separate. From the commentary uh, of of the other realms, it's really just like go save your friend from the clearly evil guy. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some great set pieces. Like it's a very gloomy, like 
Bloodborne Venice type place yeah. where it's like mm-hmm. just these sort of ice <laughs> castles and like all the Danins are just like kind of I think they're blindfolded on boats and they're just sort of like humming something and just being sent to their death. There's just nothing. There's no there's no place for anyone to live. It's like literally just death as a place. Yeah, they're just being they're just being shuttled into a place to get their essence ripped out of them essentially. And I think I think they're oh my God. praying to yeah. the Lord Volron at that point, who's like the Sephiroth guy. They're just like praying to him and just like stoked to get not even stoked but just kind of like indifferent to being sacrificed to him. There's just like an indifference overall and the whole place it's worth mentioning is just kind of like rainy. It's just like a rainy facade of brilliance, right? Like he's built this huge chateau it almost looks like an ai got fed like every kingdom hearts castle and then like spat one out (laughs) but then they forgot to turn it off and it like just made this huge uh this huge labyrinth almost and you go in there and like there's obviously a bunch of soldiers there who want to stop you but for the most part it's they're just like there to stop you from seeing him there's nobody else in there there's nothing happening in there you think that when you go in there's going to be like a lot of stuff going on in that castle that's not the case at all. It's really just hallways that lead to the final boss, or I guess the fifth lord, I should say. To me, mm. that was effective though, because it's like this guy rules over dirt. Like, yes. if your if your legacy is just death, you you are leader of nothing. You're just sitting on this like false palace yeah. above rain, which and is like, why I'm sure you run into him a bunch of times throughout the course of the game, because I'm sure <laughs> he fucking gets bored in this shit realm that he set up for himself so you keep running you run yeah. into him as early as the second realm i think if i'm not mistaken uh he shows up with his sephiroth sword but and there's all these sort of like twists about what the crown contest is and all that and i think it would have been not to say like you know it's easy to sort of like um say like oh, what i would have done or whatever but i think like the imagery is so powerful here that it's like maybe the crown contest is like whoever wins is just stuck with nothing like this this system right. is so flawed that like the victor gets a palace of death and that's it and this idea that this is something you should aspire to is inherently fucked and you wouldn't know that until you see it like yeah that is enough i don't need like there's actually space aliens that like i don't need any of that you know yeah so can we can we talk about the sovereign real quick because i've i got yeah, sure. to this part this morning actually um where he starts talking about i'm the sovereign i did all this stuff on Linagiris, and like so is the sovereign the lord who has all five of the cores yes uh, or like the power of all five cores, essentially. Uh, we we could, I mean, it's ah. you know, it's very uh, very very like fantasy crystal stuff. But the idea is that if you become the sovereign, they essentially like implant this power of the sovereign into you, uh, and it is equivalent to the power of all the cores combined. Um, is the idea. So that this is what all the lords are trying to accomplish. Is they're all trying to become the sovereign. And we, I, I think it's after the fifth realm that we learn a little bit about Alfin's place and all of that which is interesting but yeah that is that is what the crown contest is so they're all trying to harvest enough essence to essentially uh win this contest so they can become the sovereign it is worth mentioning so along along the way to uh to volron you run into Xion, who then is a boss essentially she's like major boss fight of the fifth realm you fight against Xion in your attempt to bring her back and i love that it's not like I, I think it's framed in a way where Volron is kind of like a job of the hut in that way. And he's like, ha ha, this is like my my personal princess slave now. But you could tell that she is so broken down by the experience of getting her thorns back and Alfin not being able to reach out and, you know, him having let go that she's like, there's no hope for me anymore. There's no way I could bring this back. This is this is fucked. And the best thing for me to do is to end this charade that we've been on 
you know, a quest that's doable the whole time. And you have to fight Xion, and it's like rough. I, I think it's one of the high yeah. points like of the game is that fight. And notably, you have to fight her thorns. Like she's yes. like kind of like like covered in in like an orb or something. But like, yeah, it, it is it is a very emotional fight, and I think it. It, it realigns itself with, I think, how I felt earlier in the game. Like, I felt more compelled to fight the clear villain and to say, I, I, it, it sounds like I want it to be simple. I just think I just, it was diffusing its own message, like we said. And I think this just felt more in the same spirit as the early game did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after, you know, obviously after that, she joins your party again and then she's back and cool. Everything's good. And you go and fight Sephiroth. And uh, that's kind of where the game lost me, honestly. I was like, cool. I took out the five lords. And then they introduced this whole second thing. It's very much and we make this comparison a lot already on this episode. But it's worth doubling down on the Dragon Quest Eleven connection here, because after you're done with the fifth lord, which like is the quest, that's like the thing that you set out to do. That's like what the game on the tin says that it is is like go take out these five lords and then you're good the game starts introducing more characters like right around the end and a bunch of stuff unfurls that launches you what is very similar to dragon quest 11's post game so similarly in dragon quest 11 you go through this entire quest you make it to the end you think you're good the credits literally roll and then you kind of go into this uh little bit where you go revisit some towns that you had been to before and find out like maybe not everything is done maybe maybe this like big bad that we went and fought has the potential to come back and if you want the game kind of asks you if you want to if you want you can just like snuff them out forever and make sure there's literally zero percent chance that anything bad will ever happen again in this world which is cool and it works really well it adds like a ton of game it's very cool i think it works really well because like you just said it asks you like you get a very good finale before yes. that point like you could very easily like in our dragon quest 11 episode i think we like there is a version of the playthrough where you just stop there and like you're probably fine the post game exists more as like a way to extend the gameplay if you want the challenge more yeah. than it is like this is the best possible ending um, yeah. there's a bit of that too but i think like the the narrative seems to take a back seat to everything else yeah um in the post game the way this works out uh, in Tales of Arise, you beat the five lords. It's like, cool. That's a- that's actually a good-sized video game. I feel good about it. Pretty much immediately, a giant like space seed gets shot out from Lenigus, which is where the, the Renans come from, and launches and lands on Danon in the ocean, and is clearly like sucking the essence out of the whole planet. I guess like it would probably make sense that the Renans were like, hey, all five lords are dead. This probably isn't good. We should just like do what we can with this planet and then get rid of it. Like I imagine they're going to blow it up or something. But you go and inspect this thing. It's called the Wedge. And you're like, this is not good. If if the Renans are attacking the planet, just like whole cloth without even like trying to start a war or anything, because like really the Danans can't fight back in a space war right now, then our only move as the as the people who just killed all the lords is to uh, commandeer a spaceship and go blow Lenicus up. It's kind of the idea. And that's essentially the rest of the game. The rest of the game is like, okay, we got to find a spaceship. Okay, that's going to take like another 10 to 15 hours. And then you need to fly to Lenigus, and that's going to be a whole situation. Then you have to land on Lenigus and explore the place and figure out what to do. And, you know, that is where a lot of the revelations about Alfin and Xi'an come from like you start to learn a lot about their past we didn't even mention this but alfin has amnesia you know classic rpg protagonist 
shit. He has amnesia. He doesn't know really much about his past. This is where all that is unveiled. And I'm kind of disappointed that this is where it's all unveiled. This is this is what I'm talking about when I say like this game has like major pacing issues is all of the stuff that happens here in what feels like a post game could have either been better incorporated into the overall game like oh yeah we killed the five lords but the quest isn't done we need to finish what we started is i think much more interesting than we did this but oh what's this over here oh i guess this is a whole new quest now yeah instead of a continuation it it just feels like an addendum which is a little bit unfortunate and that that post game or part two i guess is huge it is so lengthy it doesn't have the like quick pacing of uh the the previous realms it really kind of falls apart a little bit even though you're getting more story revelations and more character revelations they're not teaching me more about the characters as people they're teaching me more about this like hidden chapter of their lives it's not informing who they are now it's just telling me who they were then and I, I found that to be a little bit disappointing, and that's kind of why I stopped playing. I'll probably go finish it, because like I said, I'm like pretty much towards the end. I'll finish it before we do Goaty, because I, I want to see like where the full game will land in, in that list. But overall, I, I'm kind of conflicted, because I've seen a lot of people say that this game is too short, and my thing is like this game is like 15 to 20 hours too long, because if you got rid of part two and just had the five <laughs> lords, like top five shit right there. Like Honestly, yeah. one of my favorite mm-hmm. games of the year. But this bit just like really drags it down. It's nice to have if you just want more of it. But at the time, it's really rough. I found myself honest, like truly listening to podcasts and just playing this game while like listening to podcasts just so I could like continue to progress because I was having such a hard time motivating myself to actually do it for story reasons. I was like, well, this is a thing I'll be able to do kind of ambiently while I'm listening to stuff, which is not the way you want to experience the end of a 50 to 60 hour story. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I found it to be like, there's a version of this post game where like we could have had the meaningful finale after the fifth Lord, but instead we get that weird cutscene, And then I think Dohalim says, this isn't the end. This is the beginning. And then you get a new animated opening, which yes. isn't nearly as good as the, even the opening <laughs> isn't as good. The, op- the song, at least the animation is beautiful, but the opening song of the first part, Oh, that rules. That gets me excited to play every time. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I I am like right at the beginning of that part. And I think it's something I might play over time. I don't feel the need to like rush through it. I don't think there's anything there that will dramatically change how I've felt based on what we've discussed. I think that there's a really great combat system. There are really great characters that that could use more moments in like the proper spotlight. And again, I think as we've talked a lot about, it's like I'm... It's it's good that a game gets us having these conversations, even if it misses the mark multiple times. Yeah, definitely in agreement there. Yeah. Unless you have anything to add, Eric or Brendan, I think maybe we're in a place where we can wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like overall, I, I really, really, really loved a lot of this game. Um, yeah. It's, it's up there for me in terms of just like RPGs I played in general. And I think as you were mentioning Steven, and honestly, Eric, you've been extremely convincing. I'm probably going to go back and play a bunch of other Tales games. I already picked up a bunch. I have like, I have so many. I have Tales of Abyss on 3DS. I have, uh, what is it, Berseria on PS4. I have Vesperia on Switch. Sweet. And I have Symphonia as well, which I can't play until I find a GameCube. But I have Symphonia. Um, So like, I have a whole breadth of Tales games to experience. I'm really excited to do that. I don't know if this is going to be like a 
Dragon Quest, I'm going to play all of them situation. Um, but I'm excited to at least try all of them because I, I think this is a franchise that's been kind of, I don't know, floating a little bit beneath the surface, but uh, clearly needs its time in the sun. And I'm excited to see what they do next. Oh, yeah. Like, truly. Yeah. Geek to see what the future will hold. Eric, do you have any recommendations of any for anyone listening? If they like maybe started with The Rise, where would where would you recommend going next in the series? I'd say if you're looking for like a similarly serious story that has an incredible cast of characters that's also funny and a really complex but like super rewarding battle system, go Tales of Berseria. If you're looking for more of a slice of life, random group of people come together to thwart evil, like something a little bit more low key, I'd say go for Tales of Vesperia. Cool. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad I have both. Those are the two I have. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. I got to say too, I love, I love all the openings for these games. They always get like a really great, like anime intro with a great song. And the Vesperia one is like, fucked up good it's like really yeah it got me so pumped that i paid 40 dollars for the definitive version i'm like hell yeah i'm in nice let's do this yeah vesperia might have some of the best music i think in the series yeah i am i'm really so i I think i played a little bit more of vesperia it has very uh final fantasy 9 energy to me where it has that sort of classic fantasy feel but like that sort of ragtag ensemble that you mentioned Mm -hmm. i really like that berseria is very emotional like from go and I'm also interested in where that story is going, but um, both seem really great. And again, I think like going back to the mission of this game, like we're now checking out the series, both the games that came before, and we're excited to see what's next. So I think overall they, they did a good job. Yeah. Cool. If y'all get the chance with Vesperia or Berseria, try out the co-op combat yeah. gameplay, please. It is a sweet, sweet, enjoyable part of playing some of those games. Yeah, I really want. I know you and I have been playing, uh, planning on playing Berseria sometime soon. I'm really excited to do that. Same, same. Um, it's it's worth mentioning that all those are available like on a lot of platforms. So uh, go check out some Tales games. Yeah, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anywhere people can find you or anything you're working on you want to plug before you get going? Yeah, you can find me at. Uh, black blk underscore sherlock at twitter and i'm currently working on a <laughs> afrofuturist uh abolitionists like sci-fi fantasy adventure hell yeah like kingdom hearts like combat platforming called Facen. and you can find that on twitter at basically like Facen underscore favors nice Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. This was so cool. Yeah, uh, Brendan, it's good to finally chop it up with you and meet you. Steven said so much. uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, Steven, thank you for hitting me up about this and letting me know. It's been been a lot of fun talking Tales with y'all and seeing that now y'all are going to check out some more Tales games, which is great. (laughs) You're like, my work here is done. I can assess. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Sure, you're welcome. Y'all have a good night. You too. You too. Have a good one. Goodbye, everyone.